You're listening to the Community Podcast, episode 138. Reverend Trent Walker continues our series on stewardship titled, What's Mine Is. This week's message is titled, The Importance of With. If you'd like to learn more or watch the video from this podcast, please visit comref.org. Pastor Kurt said that I've been struggling with back issues. I don't know. I know people with back issues, and this isn't it. I just have a spasm. I, I, I think I, uh, I pulled, my, pulled a muscle in my back washing my hair. And that happens when you're 53. I have no idea why, but um, I went in fine. I came out, could hardly breathe like you just fell on your back. So um, if you get a grimace, those online, if you see this, ah, it's not you. It's me. Um, hey, we're, uh, we're going to talk, talk about money again. Uh, there were two out of three weeks. Uh, last week, those of you who are here last week, you know I try to make a deal with you. I'm going to try to make the same deal today. Um, the deal is this. I won't talk to you today about what you give or do not give to this church or what this church's um, financial situation and or needs are. If you will raise your eyebrows, not cross your arms. This is a, this is a, I know it makes you uncomfortable, a lot of you, and it makes, we don't love it either because pastors, when I leave, no one will look me in the eye. I get it. Um, but I, I, today, we, what does God say about money? We need to know. Because 2,000 times in the, all the Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, 2,000 times God directs us with our money, whatever the currency of the day was. Sometimes it was crops. Sometimes it was ox, lambs, that kind of thing. Other times it was shekels or, you know, it, 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 irrespective of uh, what the currency was, God speaks to it over 2,000 times. My particular Bible text of Scripture only has 1,950 pages from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. So it's important. It's important not because money is moral or, or immoral. Money is amoral. It's just a thing. So I want to just tell you what my goal is, and then I'm going to tell you a little joke, and then we'll move through it. My goal is this. Um, actually, I'll put it to you in a different context, which will reveal my goal. Uh, as a pastor in this church, those of you who are members of this church, through your offerings and tithes, you give money to this church, and they pay me. I don't work for you. I work for God, and I'm accountable to the elders, in particular, of this church. And in some form, some fashion, I don't have 2,300 bosses, but kind of. I get it. But you, you pay me and set and me and the other staff, you set us aside to study the scriptures, to know what ministry is, and to find out what God thinks and do our best to communicate what God thinks to you today. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I take that real seriously, that I know that the scriptures mean what they meant, and it takes some work sometimes to marry those two things together. I believe that you want your pastors. I happen to be the here today. I'm the one that God called to speak this message to you. I get to preach three out of four Sundays and three out of four services on average throughout the year. I take it really seriously. I don't think that you want someone standing up in front of you to give you excuses and to give and to, and to sugarcoat things so that God, so that you don't really know what God's will is. I think you want to know what you do with it is between you and God. So we're going to talk about worship today and how it ties to money. But let me just start with this. Um, Jeff Monroe, I used him as an example. I used an illustration of his last week, but when his kids were younger, his daughter was six 
his son was four. They were on their way to church, and uh, daughter realized that she forgot to go to her piggy bank and get money for the children for the Sunday school offering. I don't know if they're taking money to buy Bibles for children or something like that. And so, mom, I don't have my money for the for the for the Sunday school offering. And mom's digging through her purse, and, and Jeff turns to the four-year-old son and goes, "Do you need money too?" And he goes, no, they let me come for free. <laughs> That's my last comment about that. Um, so we're going to look in. We were in the gospel according to Luke uh, from Epiphany, so right after Christmas, through the Sunday after Easter. So I'm going to use passages from Luke today to talk to you about worship and worship and how it relates to money. Uh, I'm using Luke because you're familiar with it. We've just spent months in it. But also, I'm gonna, so we're going to start at the beginning of Luke. We're going to start at the end. Or end at the, or we're going to go from beginning to end and then two passages in the middle. We'll be in Luke 4, Luke 24, Luke 12, and Luke 16. Not long passages. Jesus, when he uh, was beginning his ministry, he showed up to the edge of the Jordan River, and John the baptizer was there, and John the baptizer knew that he had been, uh, he, he'd been called out to call people out to prepare the way of the one who is to come, the Messiah. Je and it turns out to be Jesus shows up, John the baptizer recognized him, he baptized him, and then the Spirit of God descended over Jesus. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And in one of the gospel accounts, it says, listen to him. And then the Holy Spirit of God took Jesus and took him out into the wilderness for, for 40 days. He ate nothing and he was tempted by the devil himself. And before we read one of these temptations, I want to remind you of the original temptation of humanity back in the garden. You remember when God said he had a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with Adam and Eve, and they, they, they didn't have to make choices. They just consulted with God on a regular basis. But he said to them, you can eat of anything in the garden except this tree. And when the Lucifer shows up, when the serpent shows up and he's talking to them, he goes, Did, can you eat any from anything? Well, yeah, except for this. Did God really say? And then he went on to tempt. Now, I want you to remember this. Every temptation, I'm sure there's some that, that, that will break this rule, but I, I can't find one yet. Every temptation in our culture revolving around scripture has some tactic that goes like this. Is that really what God meant? Did God really say, are you sure that was 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago? They were, come on, we, this is 2019. There's some way of creating doubt in the veracity, the wisdom, and the sovereignty of God. It happens time and time and time again in our lives. I think the enemy of God doesn't care if we worship him directly. When we learn about Baal and Beelzebub, um, we, we find out that, that all gods that aren't the one God are the enemy. He, he wears many masks, he has many names, but it's always the same. Satan doesn't care if I, if I worship him. He just wants me not to worship God because anything I worship other than God is him. That was his original temptation, and watch what he does to Jesus. The devil led him up to a high place, and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he... And said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. 
if you worship me, it'll all be yours. You guys remember, it's not going to be up on the screen, I don't think, the, the answer. But do you remember how Jesus responded? He said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone, only. You remember that? So here he is. He's saying, you know what your life is going to look like, Jesus, son of God, son of man, Messiah, anointed one. I'm the prince of this world. Look, all you got to do is prosku neo me. That's the word for worship. You bend your will, bend your knee to me, take a shortcut, do it your way. You can avoid all the pain, all the suffering, all the difficulty. Now, at the end of Luke, same word. This is Jesus after he's been crucified, after he's been entombed, after he went to hell, after he uh, raised from the dead, and then, but right before he ascends to the Father. In fact, as he's ascending, this word for worship shows up again, proskuneo. He's got about 500 of his followers. He heads them off, takes them off to the vicinity of Bethany. And it said, it said, he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left, blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they proskuneoed him. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. In fact, we know that they stayed for about 40 days until the Holy Spirit of God descended on them like he had descended on Jesus with tongues of fire. And he gave them, he baptized them in the spirit of God and the gospel, the church era began. You see what just happened. They finally, these are the people that wanted it to be true. These are the people that as they heard rumors that Jesus had resurrected, they sought out where his followers are. There's about 500 of them. They all saw him. 500 people can't hallucinate the same thing. It doesn't work that way. But he, 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 two people can't hallucinate the same thing. But he, they, they see him. He, he, they follow him. He blesses them. And as he's blessing, he rises up. And what do they do? They worship. It's unbelievable word worship. In the New Testament, there are several different words for worship. I just picked two that are the same. And in the Old Testament, there are dozens or hundreds of words that we can be translated, that can be translated as worship. But what this word proskuneo means, the devil says, I want you to lean forward in order to kiss my hand. That's what proskuneo means. And the disciples lean forward in order to kiss Jesus' hand. Now, that's the literal translation. It actually comes from a description of what it, what it looks like when a dog licks his master's hand. And some would argue that a dog licks his master's hand, his or her master's hand, for, because of the salt. Okay, that's fair. But the dog doesn't lick the master's hand because the salt is repulsive. It's because it nourishes, it's needed, and it's pleasurable. It's one way that dogs show submission to the alpha in the, in, in the home, in the, in, the, in, the, in the pack. They lick. We have moose. We didn't have moose. My daughter had moose. And she's going on the mission field for a year, and she called my wife and said, would you and dad watch moose for a year? And Lynn said, I'm going to throw her under the bus here. Don't do this very often. Lynn said, it's great for me. I'll have to talk to dad. All dads know that's a setup. <laughs> so, and then now they're permanently on the mission field. For, so a year turned into 12 or 13. But Moose and I have an arrangement. It's way better than Buster, but Moose and I have an arrangement. He stays away from me. He knows it's better when we're interacting. If I'm walking down the hallway, even if he's eating, he just needs to move. 
Okay, he's a good dog as far as dogs go. Not a huge fan. Lynn is worshipped by this dog. When he walks, when she walks in the door, he will hop up on the couch, which he's not supposed to be on. He will lay his head on her lap. He will come up and just look adorable. He will, if she just holds her hand down, he will lick it. He thinks she's amazing. And I agree with him. Just don't think he's amazing. He worships my wife just for the joy of it. And because the dog is treated well by my wife, he, he's nourished by my wife, he's loved by my wife, he's, he, she has a poo purse. He picks up, she picks up after the dog. That is exactly what God does for us. He nourishes us, he loves us, he cares for us, he picks up after what we've left behind. God adores us, and he wants for us to proskuneo him, to lean forward in order to kiss, to bend our hearts, our wills, our knees to him and him alone. That's what God wants. That's what worship is. We were created to have a non-broken picker. We were created to have a consultation with God about every decision that comes up. And then when we made a choice, it broke our picker. We no longer know how to make decisions on our own. So God has given us instructions on how to, when to, and about whom to do everything, including money. And we don't love it. But I, as a Christian, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, I can get more caught up about money than anything else in my life. I can, I can make, decide to make a purchase, and, and, but all the while I'm like, what are people going to think? They pay me too much. That's what they're going to think. I know there's bills coming. I know I need a new driveway. I know in the next year or two I'm going to need a new roof. But man, I really want this. Now I could, Lynn and I gave away about $24,000 last year. That is not, we don't make 10, we don't make 10 times that. Okay, so don't try to do that math. It's just not, it's not factual. I can do a lot with that $24,000. And I can excuse, I can justify myself to come up with a way to say to God, I need this for this, I can't give right now. If you've ever had a thought like that, hear these words from Jesus. Luke 12, 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is you, we just sang it. What does God want? Our heart. From Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be with, dishonest with much. So if you have been untrust, if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, or excuse me, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, worship, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's the weird thing about money, folks. All 2,000 episodes of it in Scripture, it is a strange binary thing. Money has no power in and of itself. It is not moral or immoral. We talked about it last week. It's not, the, it's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Why? Because money is always tied to worship. Now, I'm going to do a little logic experience with, experiment with you here, and I'm going to ask you that those of you 
you who are in grade school, you probably have this right away. Those of us who have been a while, you, you might remember. What do you call a plain clothes figure, four sides, four right angles in geometry? Huh? A rectangle, right, or a square. Well, hold on. All, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares, because a square has to have equal sides, correct? Okay. Same kind of logic here. I know this is a stretch, and I'm not saying that you don't get it. It's just you never do logic from the pulpit. Not all worship is done with money, but money is always tied to worship. Always in Scripture. Always. Every way we worship does not involve money. But money will either be worshipped or we worship God with it. So in effect, we either worship money as God or we worship God with money. I don't like it either. But scripturally speaking, if money is amoral and God speaks to it 2,000 times, he must know something we don't. And I know that in my own head, I can get caught up in this stuff. Look, my dad was a millionaire when I was in, in, in eighth grade. And by the time uh, the divorce was finalized and, and uh, sophomore year, my dad lost everything. So we went from, I can have whatever I want living in East Grand Rapids to, I don't know if I can have cleats for growing feet for football. We didn't know if the power was going to get turned off, all kinds of... I've been on both ends of this. I get caught up in money because we used to get calls from creditors on the phone all the time. I hate it. Frustrates me. And, and, and I get nervous about it. So if you ever have those kind of senses, please listen closely. Eyebrows up, kind of open body posture because I want to show you what God says. I'm going to use an illustration from when I was about 24, 25 years old. When I was about 24, 25, over by Beechwood Church down off, off uh, uh, Douglas, which is Ottawa Beach Road there, um, right by Pine Creek Bay, by Beechwood Church, just on the, on the east side of it, there's that little nature walk, which all got boardwalks and stuff in there. That used to be owned by Brian Waterway. Brian's a longtime friend of mine. He was the first elder, youth elder at Hardawake when I got there in 1991. He, we went on lots of long walks. He introduced me to duck hunting. And that property, he, he said, anytime you want to take you and maybe one or maybe at most two other people up there to hunt ducks you can it's past shooting you don't have dogs there's no decoys it's just a dike that you can walk out and on one side is pine creek of this dike and on the other side um is what looks like a creek or a little bit from like me to Corey over there about that that far apart not not, not real but he said there's a false bottom there that's a bog if you if you if you can time it when those ducks come by if you shoot them you want to time it so they're going to land either on the dike or over here in the creek like, okay. But if you do knock one down over there, you got to walk to the end of the dike, through the water, over into the marsh, around the bog, over into the marsh, and then hopefully you'll find it. I didn't have a hunting dog. And, you know, I'm 24, 25. I know better than him. So me and my friend Court Langland were out there. Uh, we were pat they're just past shooting. And so we go down. There's two, two wood ducks coming. They're coming over uh, from over Lakewood Boulevard. They're coming over into, over, they're going to work their way over to Lake Mac. And I went, pop, pop. Just 20 gauge, 11, my grandma, grandpa gave me a little 20 gauge, 1100 semi-automatic. I've got my waders on, I got camo, the whole deal. D don't have a duck call, we're just waiting for them to come by. And they came down, they landed, 
on the other side of the bog. I'm like, that's 30 yards over there. Then I walk through the marsh over there. I'll just walk across. Unload, got my gun over my shoulder, start walking across the bog. I got about halfway there, up to my thigh. And if you ever stepped in muck, muck, suction, I'm stuck. And then the other leg's like this. And I can't move like that anymore, but I start to move like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I got to get out of here, which makes it, now I'm waist high, one leg out, but under, the other straight down and sucked in. Then I'm up to here, and I don't know how deep it is, but you start seeing those canvas waders and that muck's about to come up here, you're going down. There's no, so court, court, court comes down the, the way a little bit, and I had to double check my gun. I hand him the butt of my gun. I've got the barrel facing me. This is how stupid this ended up being. Um, in 20 minutes, 20 minutes. For him to get me out, we're sweating. I still then had to walk around, like the owner said, to get the ducks the right way. Now, here's the question. We all know the answer to this if you've grown up in the church. Jesus came to save us from our sin. What if he came to save us in our sin? See, prepositions matter. If court saved me in the bog, he would have thrown a stick across. I put my elbows up on it, and I'm still there today. But if he saved me from it... He pulls me out, we clean up, and I'm saved from it. Jesus saves us from our sin, cleanses us of it, and then helps us move on so we don't end up back in it. Prepositions matter. How we worship God matters, and money matters to God. So I can either worship money as God— preposition, or I can worship God with money. Those are my only two options according to Scripture. So, are you worshiping God with your money? Are you bending your will just because you adore Him? See, I believe that I knew better than Brian, the owner of the property. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I almost, if I would have been alone, I might have died. God's the owner. Do you or he know better if it's his property? Now, I want to go to one place here. And some will say, oh, he's just pandering. I promise to God that I have prayed this through, and I know what I'm saying, and I mean every word of it, and there's not a pandering piece in it. We can get caught up when we look at other people that have a lot, and we say, well, they should do more. They should pay. They've got all that money. They can do da 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 We even see if they need to pay their fair share. I get it. I do. I understand it. Because I tend to get embittered by what I might have to give up when I see someone else having so much. But let me just ask you this question. And be honest with yourself. Have you ever had earned a living wage from a poor person? Someone who is willing to go bankrupt so that you have a living wage and can provide for your family? I haven't. See, Scripture is very clear on those who have been entrusted with much. Much will be expected. But the ratio of what God wants from all of us is the same. He gave you 
the mind that you have. He gave you the ability that you have. He gave you the willingness to take risk. He gave you the ability to train up your muscles to do a craft or to do a, a, a trade. He gave others the, the, the mind to, to, to make money in a stock market. He gave, and those business owners, I mean, think about it. I'm astonished often with business owners, and I'm just thinking, stick to the ones that are around this area. I'm not going to use any of them by name, but many of you work for them. I'm blown away when I think about how many people some of these businesses have provided livelihoods for. How many people, how many children's lives have been saved because they, a kid had spinal meningitis and they work for a company that provides them with health care. And the kid's life is saved because they get right on it and they go. How many houses have been bought? How many lawnmowers have been bought? How many, how many people that mow lawns have been employed? How many, how, how many different colleges people have people been sent off to? Because some people make money, risk their own capital, invest it in others, and employ us. To whom much has been given, much will be required. But to who little has been given, we're still expected to give the same. 10 cents on a dollar or 100 grand on a million is still 10 cents on a dollar. But we can get resentful about what others have. You know, it's possible, folks, that others have more because they were trustworthy with the little and more was entrusted. And I know how I get, Lord, all this stuff's coming up. I, I can't give right now. In this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, says Jesus, I've overcome the world. So if he's overcome the world and it's his, and I am his, and the talent that he's given me is his, and my ability to amass wealth is from him, isn't it wise to treat the property for the benefit of the property owner? And isn't it wise to trust that the property owner knows better than the one he's allowing to steward it knows? Brian Waterway let me steward his property, and I didn't listen to his wisdom, and I almost died as a result. God is the owner, and he loves you dearly, and he, he's a giver. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to humanity on whom God's favor rests. I will give, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For God so loved the world that he gave everything. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he took on the nature of a servant, spent himself, and became a servant, a slave for you. And what does he ask in return? Trust me with everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and money is always tied to our heart. Always. So I can either worship money, which in turn is worshiping God's enemy, or I can worship God with my money. Same is true for you. If you feel guilty, that is not coming from me. If you feel guilty, that is coming from God's enemy. If you feel convicted, ah, oh, yep, yep, knew that, didn't want to hear it, blah, blah, blah. That's from God, because God is specific and it's merciful. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he says, after a little while, he said, then you'll be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 2,000 times the God of the universe tells his creation Trust me in this. Give me your heart 
And one of the ways you give me your heart is you're generous. I'm going to leave you with this. Carl Bart. Yeah, it's 1132. I'm going to take an extra minute to tell you how terrible it was to learn this from Carl Bart. Freshman year of college, basic Christian thought, the Reverend Dr. Steve Stam, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. class. I had to clean the Dow Center at 5 o'clock every morning because we had lost everything. My dad lost everything, and so I had to do a work study and scholarships. And I'm in this class. Reverend, Steve, Reverend Dr. Steve Stam is a good, brilliant man, but he is not a dynamic teacher. And so I'm sitting in the front row. I made the mistake of sitting in the front row the first day of class, and then he made a seating chart. I would chew on the end of a pen, stick it in my forehead, and lean on it so I could stay awake. He taught us about Carl Bart, brilliant theologian, unbelievably boring to me. He's with the Lord now. I'm sure I'll meet him. He's like, hey, but no, I don't think so. Very heady, very thick. I had no idea what I was getting into. But Carl Bart says this, and it is brilliant. Generosity follows grace like thunder follows lightning. If you've had an encounter with grace, your response is always generosity. Even when you don't hear thunder because it's too far away, lightning breaks the sound barrier, it superheats gases, and then they slam back together. There is always thunder with lightning, always. And there is always generosity when you have an encounter with grace. So if God has been gracious to you, there's one response. To worship him with your mind, your heart, your soul, your body. To worship him even with your money. In fact, I'd go so far as to say especially with your money because he speaks about it more than he speaks about any other single topic in scripture. The importance of with. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are almighty and we are not. You own this world and we are in it. And you entrust to us much. You pick up after us. You nourish us. You adore us, you give to us, you play with us, and you, in response, you just want us to adore you back. Thank you for all that you've done for us, what you're doing to us, what you'll do in us, and what you want to do through us. Give us the courage to say yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There it is. It's probably happening right now. But if, it, if it's not today, there's been some time when you've shown up to worship, and it seems like Kurt, when he was planning the songs, was reading your journal, and it just got you. There's been some time when, when you showed up, and when other, one of the other pastors is preaching, it was like, yes. There's been some time when you're walking out, and you're like, I'm, you're walking out, and you're going to get in your car, and you go, oh, man, all I want to do right now is sin. That's not what worship does to you. See, worship doesn't change God. It changes you. It nourishes you. It cleanses you. It makes you, it realigns you so that you're walking and talking and knowing and loving the God of the universe. Giving is the same way. It, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't have to dim the lights in heaven to save a little money to send someone to some, someone. He doesn't need your money. He's God. It's all his anyway. What does he need? 
He needs for his children to know that they're loved and nourished. He wants how you behave with your money to change you, not him. He knows better than you do. Trust him. The Lord bless you, and he has, and keep you, and he does. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face. God give you his face and smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, hey, go with and end the peace of Christ.